G'day, I'm Martin Isles, and this is The Truth of It. And today's episode is very, very simple. I want to speak to you for just a moment about the meaning of Christmas. And to do that, I'd like to turn your attention to the oldest Christmas carol of them all. It was the song sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she contemplated the meaning of the very first Christmas, the fact that Christ was to be born in time and space, and she was to be his mother. And the origin of this song reminds us first that Christmas is about an event in history. It's about something that happened here on this earth. It was a moment in time, and it was a moment as tangible and as real as this one that you and I are in right now when Mary sang her song, The Magnificat. And here are the words. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Notice, first of all, Mary is rejoicing from the very depths of her being. She is exultant. She is delighted. She is praising God. It's welling up from within her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. And the question comes, why? One word answer, salvation. That is the very first reason, the summary, if you like, that she gives for her joy. My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. And as she experiences this very first Christmas, she is confronted with the reality of God as saviour of the world. And I wanna note that fact for this reason. Much is said today about the true meaning of Christmas. And usually it's in the context of Christmas to me means, and we put it out there like it's a blank slate to have our own meaning applied to it. Oh, to me, Christmas means family. It means new beginnings. It means friendships. It means happiness. It means means unity. It means whatever we like. But the truth is this. Christmas is about nothing less than salvation. His name, said the angel to Mary, before Mary reflected and sang this, the angel said, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That was the stamp upon him in his very name. Or later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes about this remarkable fact. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world, and that's what Christmas is about. This marvel that the God of the universe has entered into our world and shared in our humanity. He came into the world, says Paul. Why? To save sinners. That was the whole point of his coming. Now, of course, the question then arises, what is the nature of this salvation? It's an interesting word. It's a a big concept. What is it all about? Well, Mary describes it this way. She says in her song, and you will have picked this up if you listened with me, he is lifting up the lowly. He is filling the hungry. He is enriching the poor. In other words, God is acting to meet a very deep and urgent need. 
And her descriptions of this need are in terms of poverty, hunger, lowliness. And that may at first make us wonder if those, if it really is indeed all about material wealth, then is it universally relevant, this message of salvation, to one of the richest societies in the history of the planet, like Australia, like our own? But that would be missing the point. Yes, it's true, we are materially wealthy by historical and comparative standards. And yet Christmas teaches us something that's not so immediately apparent, namely that we are poor, namely that we actually do need this salvation. In Revelation, Jesus speaks to a materially wealthy church, and you can see the parallel straight away. Here we are in a materially wealthy society in the same way. And it was a city called Laodicea, a wealthy merchant city. And Jesus spoke to them, and he said, you say, in other words, this is how you feel about yourselves. This is what you believe, whether you realize it or not. I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, here's the warning. Your material prosperity has made you forget about the truth of your spiritual poverty. That was an issue when Jesus came. The centers of power and wealth in that society didn't know about it. It was of no concern to them. There was no interest to them. They didn't know they needed it. They were satisfied. It's an issue today. Why is the meaning of Christmas not gratefully and proudly proclaimed on every street corner as God's salvation to human beings? Well, because we haven't the faintest idea how badly we need it. And if we haven't the faintest idea how badly we need it, then we don't regard it. We don't rejoice in it. We say instead, I have prospered. I need nothing. We've become self-satisfied. The buzzwords of the day today, just listen to them all around you. Self-love, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-help. Materially, we have very few needs. So we believe the same about our spiritual condition. That's the trap. In myself, we say, I have all I need. We are full. We are proud. We are rich. But notice Mary's words, the rich he has sent away empty. That's chilling. The truth of Jesus Christ as Savior confronts us with our own deep and urgent need because the God of the universe would never have done something so catastrophically costly, so impossibly difficult, so painfully sacrificial if, first of all, he were not very merciful, but second of all, if the need was not very, very immense. The fact that he did it shows that there was no other way. Indeed, Jesus prayed from the depths of his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane for another way, and one was not provided. You know, we can't travel overseas at the moment, but it wasn't that long ago that I was in Europe, and whilst there we saw many ruins of old castles. Sometimes you'd approach one of these ruins and there'd be an information plaque outside, uh, and it would have details, and it might even tell you who once lived there. You know, it might say, Frederick the Conqueror once lived here. Of course, Frederick's house has lost its former glory. You can make out the foundations, you can sense something of it, but certainly what it was as a home and all its greatness and its homeliness and all the rest of it is, is no longer felt, is no longer seen. Do you know, people are a little bit like that. It's as if a human person is a ruin of their former glory. It's as if a sign belongs on us that says, God once lived here. That really explains the human condition. 
Because on the one hand, human beings are so great, and they are. They're so smart, they're so innovative, they're so enlightened, they're so civilized, they're so capable. And yet, on the other hand, we are fatally flawed. We are hapless and hopeless in our ability to solve the world's problems. The rolling centuries have shown us that. We are in ourselves incapable of always doing that which we desire or that which is good, and we always fall prey to that which is false. We are deeply flawed. Indeed, we are capable of unthinkable wickedness, and that too is the human story. Both things are true at the same time. We can't escape our problems, and yet we appear so capable. We are flawed and actively sinful. The reason is this. We were made great in the image of God, but we fell. And now we turn our backs on God and we live indifferent to him, out of relationship with him and full of our own pride, going our own way and our own sin. Christmas is the story of God's great restoration project. It is the story of God's salvation. Jesus, the perfect man, was no ruin of a man like you and me. He was perfect in all things, and he lived that life that I could never live. In fact, it's too late already. I can never live it. He did it. But he also died the death that I could never have died. The soul that sins dies and is judged. That's a fearful thing, and that's because God is holy and it's the only way to deal justly with people. And yet, suddenly we have something else going on. Suddenly we have Jesus dying, not for his own sin, but for my sin and your sin. He died a death that you and I could never afford to die. And he rose again to eternal life. Again, so that he might give that same life to unite us back to God, eternal life, life with God, now and for all eternity. Do you know the wonder of Christmas is that he did not stay in heaven, where all of his glory existed, where he had all that he needed. He didn't stay there to merely judge us in our poverty and in our sin. He left the splendor of heaven, as the song goes, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down his life for me. He left heaven to come and dwell amidst our poverty, to identify with us in our humanity, so that he might in that condition earn everything that we could never earn and give it back to us freely through his salvation. To rebuild the ruin, to fill the hungry, to enrich the poor, to exalt the humble, to do this for those who know and sense their need and turn to him. The Apostle Paul again puts it so profoundly. He says, he who was rich for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. It's no wonder that Mary sings of his strength and his might because it took the almighty God to achieve something like this. It's no wonder that she sings of his very nature, that holy is his name, his holiness, that's who he is. And no wonder she sings about that because he is so good. And there's many a a perception out there in the modern age about what God is like. You want to know what God is like? Look at Christmas. Look at what he has done for you. 
And it's no wonder that she's blown away, particularly by his mercy. Twice she praises him for his mercy, for he did this despite us. Indeed, he did it despite the fact that the world, his own creatures, though they knew who he was, would reject him, as it says in John's Gospel, and say, crucify him, away with him. This is what Christmas is about. It is about God, the Saviour. And Jesus lives today, and he has that salvation to fill us up with all that we could never earn for everybody who repents of their sin, repenting towards God, and puts their faith, their trust absolutely in him, the saviour of the world. And it's my prayer and it's my desire that every one of us might be able to rejoice and sing like Mary, to actually take it into our hearts and rejoice and burst with praise that our, spirit, our soul magnifies the Lord, our spirit rejoices in God, why he is our saviour. And to say also with her that he has done, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. What a great thing it is to know God's salvation at Christmas time. And it's my prayer that that would be known by everyone who watches this program. I'm Martin Niles, and that was the truth of it for the last time in 2020. And before I close off completely, I just wanted to take an opportunity to wish you a blessed Christmas and New Year period and say thank you for your support of The Truth Of It and for the work of the Australian Christian Lobby more broadly. We finished the year in a strong financial position and we need it because there's new campaigns to be fought, there's new initiatives to be taken on. Uh, we finished with more supporters than we've ever had. Uh, we are now among the very biggest political movements in this country and we finished with more volunteers, thousands in fact, than we have ever had, which is really exciting as we build for the future. But there's one category of people which I particularly want to acknowledge and for which I'm especially grateful, and that is the prayers. Thank you very much for your prayers. They're appreciated and they are needed. And I don't know what 2021 will hold. I never do know what's on the other side uh, of Christmas and New Year, but I sense that it's going to require support. It's going to require prayers, probably more than ever before. So please join me in praying that God would lead us in his purposes and grant us the privilege that we might advance his kingdom. Thank you again. God bless you. I see you in 2021, probably late January, because I am teaching at our uh, GPS program for young people aged 18 to 25, and so I'll be delayed a little in coming back online because of that. But I will see you then. And again, it is my prayer that God would bless everyone listening with his salvation this Christmas season.